Hello and welcome to Everybody Pulls the Tarp. I'm your host, Andrew Moses. My guest today, Mike O'Connor, former major league pitcher. I don't know, Mike, if you pulled the tarp in your minor league days, but you know, we'll certainly talk about pulling the tarp leadership and teamwork here today. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks for having me, Andrew. We definitely definitely have pulled some tarps back in college. I don't I don't think we did it in, in pro ball, but definitely in college we did have to pull the tarp. So thanks to for get, having me. To get, it, it's, it's a pleasure. To get started, I want to go even further back than your, your college days. Was there a moment as a youngster when you when you felt like, hey, I'm pretty good at baseball or I'm I'm a I'm a pretty good pitcher. I might be able to do this for a living. You know, that probably that probably wasn't until until college that, I, you know, I felt like I had a chance to play pro ball. I mean, I played with a bunch of guys in high school um, that were really good players. I, I graduated high school with Mark Deshera, who was, you know, a potential first round pick out of high school. And he went on to be a first round pick out of college. And, you know, he was he was head and shoulders above where I was at as a player in high school. And, you know, finally, once I got to college and kind of physically caught up to everybody, you know, I felt like I was in a place where I was going to have a chance to play professionally. So, so often elite athletes like yourself talk about sacrifices. When they reflect on their career, they, they talk about sacrifices that they made. They, they talk about sacrifices that their family made. When, when you think about, when you think back, what were some of the, the sacrifices that you made in order to continue your development as a ball player? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, looking back, you don't realize how much you give up to, to do something like that and how much support I needed from my family, my, my wife and, and girlfriend during, the, during college and, and things like that. So um, th- there's so much that goes into it. But I mean, I think just looking back in high school, you know, I played baseball all summer, college, you know, went away and, 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 and put all my focus into baseball. I mean, I think some of that, you know, definitely, you know, I, helped me get to where I was at. And I think, you know, without all, all of that sacrifice, it, thing, things wouldn't happen the way they did. So you and I, Mike, have talked a bunch over the last few months about this show. This, this show is called Everybody Pulls the Tarp. It's all based upon a, a philosophy that I have that great teams and great organizations are powered by individuals who contribute in unexpected ways, go way outside the boundaries of their job description. So when you think about yourself as an athlete, and we'll get to, you know, I think in a little bit, your 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 career, your new career uh, post-retirement from baseball. But when you think about your baseball career, you think about great teammates that you've had, you think about great coaches that you've had, what are the things, what are the small things that those individuals do that make, in your mind, a, a big difference? You know, just thinking back to some of the coaches that I was fortunate to be around, I think just really you know, taking an interest in the, in the players, you know, off the field and, and things like that. You know, I, I was fortunate to work with some really good people um, throughout my career. There's so many, so many guys that were pitching coaches through college, high school, and then in pro, pro ball as well. Um, but I, mean, I think, I think just, you know, treating, treating people like human beings and, you know, makes a big difference in, in professional sports. Sometimes there's so many guys and they're turning through so many people and, you know, I think the coaches that really, you know, took time to get to know the players made a big difference. I mean, I think that was something that not that in some organi- organizations did that better than others. I mean, I played with a bunch of bunch of organizations to see how differently they all function was was interesting. Is it, you know, I, I know you and, and 
the way you operate in the business world these days and, and you're, you're super relationship oriented. Do you think that some of that is something that you've translated from those experiences? Definitely. I mean, I think people want, I mean, I think you're going to, you know, work better with people that you trust and want to want to be around. And I think that's, you know, something that I've, you know, have learned during my, you know, baseball career and professional career that I think is something, you know, that I've, I've uh, a skill that I've tried to bring with me into the business world for sure. Was, was there a teammate, you know, either coming through the minor league system or when you, you know, debuted in the big leagues in 2006 with the nationals that you said, you know, Hey, that's, that's a teammate that I want to emulate or I want to, um, not necessarily emulate from a standpoint of maybe the style in which you play, or maybe they weren't a pitcher, but somebody that you said, you know, I like the way that that individual goes about their business. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there, there was definitely, you know, 2006, we had a, a pretty veteran heavy team with the nationals. I mean, there's a lot of guys that had been around a long time and, you know, coming up there, you know, I, I basically went from a ball in 2005 and high A to the big leagues the next year in 2006. So it was definitely a, a steep learning curve. You know, it's a big jump quickly. Um, but a lot of, you know, there was a, we had a veteran pitching staff. Um, Ramon Ortiz was one guy that, you know, really, spent a lot of time with me and, and hang out with him at the hotel and just talk to him. And, you know, he'd pitched a long time in the big leagues, LeVon Hernandez. I mean, he was very smart guy and had been around the league for a long time. And, and, um, you know, somebody that I would always talk to in between starts and things like that. And then, you know, there was, there were several other, other guys on that team, just, you know, kind of helping, helping you figure out what it's going to take to be successful at that level and then the coaching staff, you know, obviously is there to assist you with anything you need. So, so you talk about a pretty significant jump there from, I guess it was high A ball to the big leagues next year. Obviously the nationals at that point were they were, they were, they were bringing some great talent through the, through the system. What's that jump like in terms of how it recalibrates you? You know, I would say as a pitcher, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you're pretty much able, I think it's easier to make a jump quicker you know, if, if you're, I mean, the zone and the batters obviously improve, but I mean, at the end of the day, your job is just to execute pitches and, and do what you can do. I mean, I think if you overthink it and think you have to be perfect, it's going to be much harder. But I mean, I think as a pitcher, you can make, you can make jumps pretty quick if you're, you know, able to execute your pitches um, consistently. People see, people see Mike, the, they, they see the pitcher. Well, in the case of a starter, they see generally, they'll, they'll see you generally every fifth day as a reliever. They'll see you a little bit more, but what they don't see is what's going on behind the scenes. And, and this is something that's always fascinated me. I mean, you know, I, I've made trips down to, to Port St. Lucie um, to see the, the Mets at spring training and see some other teams train. And you know, that's an interesting glimpse into the work and the energy that goes on behind the scenes to, to, to the overall product. But what, ha what happens in the four days in between starts that people don't see in terms of the work that goes into it? I mean, I think that's the, the time where you can really, you know, stay consistent, right? I mean, a lot of that is staying in shape. You, you know, got to, you know, keep your conditioning and strength, strength up during that time. As a starting pitcher, I mean, you have that routine, um, but it's, it's really a time and you have, you have the ability to throw bullpens in between starts and kind of work on certain things that maybe you're struggling with, whether it's, I don't know, holding runners or a certain pitch that's giving you a tough time or, or something, some pitch you're looking to add. So, 
I mean, I think as a starting pitcher, you do have a lot of ability to improve during the season and, and, and do a lot on that, on that five-day schedule for sure. How do you balance the desire to improve with, without disrupting what's working well? Is there a point where it, you know, it, it, it's, it's disruptive? Yeah, I mean, you still need to focus on your strengths, right? What what got you to the big leagues? What's making you successful? I mean, what's what's allowing you to, you know, get people out? I mean, you, you don't want to get away from that too far, right? But I mean, if it's, you know, adding a, a fourth pitch or something else you want to work on, I mean, I think that's the time when you're able to spend some some energy on that. I mean, yeah, you, you, you can't you can't throw a ton in between starts because you got to prepare for that next game and you don't want to be worn down. So um, I think just being smart about how you're going about that. I, I know when when I was you know, pulling the tarp, working uh, in minor league baseball, there were always guys running up and down the, uh, the, the the stadium staircases in between starts. I thought that was interesting. Did you have a, a, an interesting, unique workout? You know, usually we do like a 30-minute run the day after and lift. I mean, it just it just depends on where you're at. I mean, usually I would just I would run around the field. I, I don't know, maybe I was boring, but that's you know, you knew it was about a quarter mile around the field, and you get your you know, I don't know, 12 or 15 laps around the field in and and call it a day on the day after. So I don't know. I always knew that that was you know about a quarter mile around. So. So, so Mike, so you, I want to get to your MLB debut in a little bit, but so you go to, to GW University, George Washington University, you, you graduate with a finance degree. What was, what was the experience like going to college? Did you go to college thinking, you know, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to try and make the jump to professional baseball or was, was that an afterthought? What, talk about that for a minute. No, I mean, I definitely went there to go to school first. I mean, I went to GW as a a walk, a recruited walk-on on the baseball team. Um, I mean, we were, we were a pretty good program. I mean, we won the A-10 my senior year. Um, but no, I didn't go there with the expectation, you know, I was going to be a high draft pick or anything like that. And I think that's, you know, I think just coming out of high school, I mean, I wasn't in a position where that, that was in, you know, something that I was counting on. I mean, I, back on my mind, I'm hoping that that works out, but um, I mean, I didn't get drafted out of high school, you know, I had some some schools that were willing to offer me scholarships, but at the end of the day, I felt like GW was the best fit academically, and, and you know, I really liked the um, coaches and, and and the program there. I felt like it was somewhere that I could go and compete right away, and we had a program that could could um, potentially win our win our conference, and I, that's what I w- wanted to do. So, as you and I have have talked about, you know, lots, you know, I, I talked to a lot of elite performers in all walks of life you know, sports, entertainment, business on this show. And everybody talks about a mindset, right? This competitive mindset. How, at what point does your mindset change at GW? Where, or, or does it change where you say, okay, I might be able to do this professionally. Does the pressure increase? Does the way you go about your business change at all at that point? I mean, honestly, when I was in college, I mean, our, we had a pretty good culture on our team. I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of focus on, I didn't really focus on myself. I mean, I just worked hard to, to try to help our team win. I mean, honestly, that was like our goal. Like our goal, I was, we had a really close team and, you know, I, you know, we, I, I always felt like if we went one as a team, things would take care of themselves. And we were able, you know, our ju- my junior year, we had a really good team. We were one went away from winning our conference tournament. And then finally our senior year, we won it and we got, seven guys drafted. And I think, I don't know. I mean, I think all through college and, and 
we were just focused on the goal as a team of winning and, and things worked out how they should. It's a really interesting thought, right? I mean, if you win as a team, it tends to, the individual accolades and, and notoriety tend to take care of itself in many instances. Yeah, I mean, I, I think some of the experience I had in high school, I mean, as far as like scouts coming to see me, just being around, um, just grad, graduating high school with Mark Shear and having all these scouts around, it wasn't something that I was like, oh, I have to do this. I know they're going to, you know, people are going to come to certain games and they're going to see what they want to see, right? So, um, I mean, there was a certain point halfway through my senior year that, you know, there was scouts that came came to watch me um, and then things like that. But it, it wasn't like, I you know, I had 30 scouts there. You know, there may be four or five guys that came one day to see, make sure they saw me pitch. Um, so, I, you know, I think I think just focusing on on winning, but not letting that be a distraction, I think, is, you know, the best way to kind of go about that. When, when I when I talked to um, former MLB star Todd Zeal on this show a number of months ago, he talked about a concept called this between the lines. When you're between you know, elite athletes have this ability that when you're between the lines, everything else, generally speaking, the distractions swirling around you, what they're saying about you in the media, the fact that scouts are uh, are sitting in the crowd, perhaps when you're between the lines, you're doing what you've been doing since you were maybe five, six, seven years old. And it's a lot easier for an elite athlete. Do you subscribe to that? Definitely. I'm, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the big thing, the the mental part of the game is huge. The thing that, you know, I was always taught is just kind of stay in the present, right? If you're thinking about something other than executing that one pitch or, or, or something like that in the game as a hitter, you know, that one, making a good swing, I mean, I think you're overcomplicating it, right? Keep it really simple and just stay in that stay in that one moment, I think, is, is the key, right? If you start thinking too much, oh, what's this guy, what's that guy watching me thinking about me right now or this, it gets, it gets, really, it gets really tough to uh, perform at a high level. How, were there catchers, you know, throughout your career that, that were, were really helpful in driving that mindset? keeping you focused on the next pitch or, or is that something that you just have to internalize as a pitcher and do yourself? No, I mean, I think there's definitely a handful of catchers that I threw to. I mean, I, I was never like the number one starter where I, I would have like a personal catcher or anything like that. You know, a lot of times I was, I was the guy that give the backup catcher to, or something, you know, give the starter of the, the day, day game off. after I, the night game. So um, I think just being flexible with that. But I mean, I think kind of, you know, um, picking those guys brains that did it for a long time and, and, you know, going going up to higher levels early on. I mean, it was basically you know the catcher knew knew what I could do, and I just kind of had to follow them. You know, when you're throwing a young player thrown to veteran guys, you know that they, they don't want to see you shaking them off a lot. You know, they game plan a lot of times more with the catcher than the pitcher, um, just because they want them to kind of control the game. Um, and a lot of that has a lot of that has changed. You know, since I finished playing, I mean, they've got even more in depth with these scouting reports and everything, all the planning they're doing for these games. So let's, let's talk about the moment, the big moment that every, every, you know, young baseball player dreams of 2006, you make that at major league debut. What, what's that experience like? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a once in a lifetime thing. I mean, it's a thing, you know, at the end of 2005, I was like, I think I'm, you know, close. I didn't get put on the roster, didn't get invited to big league camp, but you know, I was the minor league pitcher of the year in 2005. And I was like, all right, I think I'm close. I felt, felt close. And they, you know, they bumped me from high A to triple to start the year in triple A and um, started off pretty well there, pitched, you know, four good games there. And then they had some injuries on the big league staff and um, 
I got I got the call from my pitching coach at the time, Steve McCaddy, um, and, and my manager Tim Foley, um, and, and they told me I was going to the big leagues uh, to pitch on I think it was a Thursday or something like that. And um, you know, it, it's it's definitely a surreal moment. I mean, the, going to St. Louis that was the first year of their new stadium. Um, I remember the day before um, St. Louis was playing a day game. I'm sitting in my apartment in New Orleans watching that game um and then flying out later that later that night to go to St. Louis to pitch pitch the next day and it's just I don't know it's a crazy moment I walk into the clubhouse you meet Frank Robinson who was the manager of the Nationals at the time I mean I grew up an Oriole fan so you know I never never saw him play but you know he's a Hall of Fame player and known to be a pretty intimidating guy and you know just walking into the clubhouse was definitely a a, a pretty cool experience so later that year Father's Day, I believe it was. You you pitch a fabulous game. I, I believe you go seven innings, give up one earned run. But later later in that game, Ryan Zimmerman hits you know what became an iconic walk off home run. I think the first walk off home run in in the fran- in the team's history. Um, what what was that experience like um, being part of that day? Yeah, I mean that. I mean playing the Yankees at that time. I mean they had as good a team is anybody in the league. I mean, super deep lineup. I mean, it was all probably multiple hall of famers in, in that lineup and, and a lot of Yankee hall of famers. And, you know, it's, it was a big deal, you know, sold, sold out stadium at RFK. We didn't, we didn't play to a lot of packed houses back then, but it was, you know, interleague play was still a little newer. And, um, no, so just looking back, I mean, they, they replayed that game this last year and the first time I really watched it, um, after, since since it happened really and just I don't know to be a part of that you know that was that was a big moment for me I mean at the time as a player you don't really think about that but looking back at a guy that was pretty cool you know had a had a you know I had a really good game pitched seven innings I think gave up one run um, and then you know the Yankees came back and, and tied it and then um, and, and Zim hit the hit the walk off and it was just a at that time, it was a, it was a big moment for the franchise just to win, you know, have have such a moment, and, and it was cool to be a part of that for sure. As we as we think about, we talk about a lot about leadership and teamwork and and just great cultures and great organizations on this show. When you think about you know that walk off home run or any walk off you know moment like that for a for a team, it's this iconic moment. Um, how, how does a moment like did a moment like that start to change the culture in any way? Did it did it create momentum that maybe hadn't existed before? I mean, it was a, I remember it. It was a big moment when, when Zim hit that home run. I mean, I think it was exciting for the franchise. I mean, for, for Zim as a player, I mean, I think it's one of those things that kind of, you know, starts to build his, his reputation as a, as a clutch player. And, you know, it's, I think, you know, at that point, the team had a long way to go to where it is now, you know, as a, a contender every year. But I think, I don't know. I mean, baseball is a crazy game and anything can happen on any day. And I think it just, you know, I don't know. It was one of, one of the few bright spots from, from that season. Uh, I mean, we play, we started to play pretty well mid, middle of the season and, you know, got to close to 500 at one point, but you know, it was, there, there were some, some other teams that, you know, had, had, had some deeper lineups and we did that year for sure. So your career starts, you know, and, and then it's a little bit, you know, in terms of, um, injuries you have to go back down to the minors a bit you got to work your way back rehabbing some injuries uh elbow surgery 
what what's that experience like? I, I think you know when I think about resiliency and the the mental side of anything, right? When you when you reach that that place that you're that you're striving for, and then it gets taken away from you, either either due to injury or for some other reason, how does that impact you? And and how do you navigate that? I think it definitely wears on you. Um, I mean, rehabbing from an injury. I mean, mentally, you know, you feel good, um, but your body just won't let you do something, right? I mean. Yeah, I had elbow surgery and basically after 2006, I had to almost start over again because I met like the whole next year was almost a wash. And then finally the next year when I came to spring training, velocity came back and things were things were close back to normal. But you just never you don't you don't know what's going to happen. Right. Your arm is so fragile as a pitcher. And, you know, if you just lose, like for me, I wasn't a, wasn't a guy that could go out there and compete at 85, 90 percent. I needed to be, you know, I just didn't have that velocity and stuff if I wasn't a hundred percent to compete at that at the highest level. So it definitely um I don't know makes you makes you not want to take things for granted. Um, you know, I think, you know, you just never know how long something's gonna last. Rehabbing a baseball injury in particular has always been interesting to me because so often, especially now, you know, you see the the players are sent, you know, if if it's during the season they're sent to rehab um, at the minor league facility in Florida or in Arizona, they're away from the team. In many instances, you're, you're kind of isolated. You, you you might be, you know, with a couple of other guys rehabbing. But I was thinking about it recently in the context of what many of us are dealing with right now: this isolation due to the pandemic um, and the social distancing, and that you know, the colleagues that I work with on a daily basis, we're all in different locations. There's not that camaraderie that you would get, let's say in your world in baseball, in a clubhouse. Talk about that for a minute. You know, is, is it, is it isolating? Definitely. I mean, I remember, you know, being, being down in Florida, this is 2007, but I mean, there's, there was a handful, there was, you know, two or three other guys that were on the, on the big league DL and we were rehabbing down there. Um, but it, it, you, you're used to, you know, you start the season, you know, you have a game every night and then now, now your game is to go into the training room and do arm exercises and ice your arm. And then you're, you're done by done by noon. Right. I mean, I was at the, at the field from, I don't know, eight thirty to 12 o'clock each day and I'd be done. And, and then you're just, you know, hanging out in your apartment. There's nobody around, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's just, it kind of, it just definitely wears on you. I mean, for me, I, I felt like I was, you know, missing out on my opportunity to kind of establish my myself as a big leaguer. But I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you got to just kind of focus on what you need to do. But it, do, it does wear on you. I, I, I don't think it's perfect how teams do it. You know, sending guys away from the team, you know, you kind of lose your support system. And I, I, I think they, they've always done it that way. They don't want guys you know, being too comfortable on the DL, right? You know, they don't want you to, to stay on there, but I, I do think it is is a tough thing. It definitely tests you as a, as a player for sure. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Port St. Lucie, Florida. It's one of my favorite places on the earth, but uh, it's got to be lonely certain times of year. Yeah, at the time the Nats were in uh, Melbourne or Vieira, Florida, and, you know, once, once spring training ended and, and all the – People from up north went home. It's pretty. It's pretty quiet there, right? So there's there's not a whole lot going on down right. there. That's right. So let's let's uh, before I let you go, Mike, I want to talk about what you're doing now and and the transition to 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 um the the business world that you made. So so you retire from baseball, and you're essentially you know launching a new career. 
talk about what you're doing you know, the last couple of years here. Yeah, I mean, after baseball, I mean, baseball was definitely my passion. But I mean, at, at some point, I, I was going to have to do something else, you know. Um, and I have my degree in finance from GW. Um, but definitely have that competitive drive, you know. So, you know, I've gotten into the world of, of sales and, and have been in, been in the insurance brokerage world the last last four years. I'm with um, Assured Partners. We were early Cassidy and Schilling, but Assured Partners purchased this early this year. Um, and essentially, I work with business owners, um, high net worth individuals, and some professional athletes. So kind of do a, do a bunch of different things. But, you know, the one thing that I've really found in sales it, that, that I think's you know been key for my success is really just finding finding ways that I can provide value outside of you know just helping somebody place their insurance you know helping them grow their business helping them with contacts and things like that and that's that's the part that I've you know really really enjoyed and, and you feel like you're part of a team again and it's been it's been a good good um, fit for me and you know being in sales I think you know a lot of the skills that I learned through sports um, have allowed me to transition into this world, dealing with dealing with pressure, dealing with uh, problems and things like that. Something you know that I'm that I'm used to doing. And and the relationships to kind of bring it full circle to where we started. You know the relationships that you formed through baseball. Those coaches that those organizations that take time to build relationships with players. It's in many ways it's what you're doing right now for your clients and your your partners in the marketplace. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, relationships are huge. I mean, I think, you know, especially in insurance where, you know, we're a broker and, you know, a lot of our competitors can provide the same products. I mean, I think, you know, being able to do other things and understanding your client is really our, our um, advantage. Mike, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to talk with you here the last few minutes. I thank you for joining. Everybody pulls the tarp and uh, let's catch up again soon. Thanks, Andrew.